Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Summer Olympic Trials in Eugene at the end of June. This is presented to you by Koros Wearables, my favorite GPS watch. I wear it on the run constantly. This sucker's battery life is insane. I don't know how often you have to charge your watch, but I know this. I have had several other watches. I'm not going to say the brand names, but had the watches. If you don't have a Coros watch, then you have a different GPS watch. I guarantee you I've owned that brand. And this one is my go-to. I've worn it now. Same watch for over two years. I charge it once a month and I wear it constantly. So if you're looking for a new watch or try something new, go over to coros.com, that's C-O-R-O-S.com and use code trials at checkout to get some free goodies on the way out. So today's episode is with Dana Giordano. Dana and I spoke about a month ago when she was kind of in the doldrums of coming back from an injury. Luckily for her, she is on her way back and really ready to, um, at this point, put the injury almost completely behind her. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about that and where she's going to be going in a couple weeks for her spring training camp. So let's get into it with Dana Giordano. Hello, Dana, and welcome back. Thank you so much. Glad to be back. I'm excited to chat with you. If someone did not listen to our first conversation uh, three weeks ago or so, maybe four weeks ago, uh, I know kind of we we ended it by kind of talking about what was going on with your injury and what was going to be kind of upcoming for you. And at that time, it seemed like you were still in the process of figuring it out, not only in terms of like the next steps of your with your injury, but also with um, kind of like what was going to happen with training. So if someone hadn't listened to that, um, just quickly let them give us a heads up about what the injury was and where you are now with it. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's kind of crazy that that's the last time we talked. I think you caught me at a pretty low point. So I went to a great diagnostic um, chiropractor in the area. His name is Dr. Um, Tommy Shad, and he is just right here in Newton, Massachusetts. So I'm super lucky. He basically wrote the book on running injuries. So super lucky to see him. And I ended up, I had a strain in my arch, um, which is kind of a weird injury. Um, But stepped in a pothole, got a strain in the arch and just made running super uncomfortable. And I would say we're we're like 90% better, but definitely full training. Um, yeah, back to normal mileage, doing hard workouts. I think the fitness is, you know, as runners, we all want the fitness to be a little bit further ahead than it is, but we're, we're in a good spot right now. Now, what about that injury? I mean, let me put it this way. When you're recovering from that injury, what are the things that you need to do in order to make it fully heal? And how can you or not do that? How can you can do that or not do that in terms of incorporating into like building up mileage? Meaning, can you build up mileage while still healing the injury? Or do you have to kind of do the first before the second? Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. And I think as a professional runner, with this being your occupation, you're definitely a little bit more willing to take risks. Um Today is 86 days in the day we're recording to the Olympic trials. So I think there's definitely a cost benefit analysis to every single thing that you do. So we kind of took about like two weeks of no, um, no high intensity workouts where it's kind of, um, 
kind of figuring out, okay, these shoes, it feels good. These shoes, it doesn't. So it was just a lot of trial and error. Um, and then sticking away from the super fast stuff for about three or four weeks, um, just to let everything heal. So yeah, I think it's like a definitely a huge exercise in listening to your body and then trusting the people in your corner. So I was really lucky to link up with some virtual PTs and then in Boston, some PTs here, chiropractor here, you know, so it's definitely not a, um, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at this, you know, I'm doing every single thing that I can. I'm sleeping in the night splint. I'm doing all the PT exercises. I'm going to the gym basically every single day of the week. So I would say in the long term, this strategy is unsustainable for physical and mental health to be doing this much for an injury. But right now, like with the Olympic trials being so close, I, uh, this is what I got to do. So excluding the running part, what do you do like week to week in terms of PT and strength work? You mentioned you go to the gym every day. What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So I got um, linked up with um, this actually kind of crazy. So I was on Instagram and sometime during quarantine, I saw a guy named Dan Giordano and I was like, Dan Giordano, that's one letter off the, my name, Dana Giordano, <laughs> who is this? And he works for this PT kind of called um, bespoke treatments, which is actually based in New York city. So I reached out to him in January for kind of a different flare up in my hamstring. And I was like, Hey, I don't know if you guys do virtual PT, but I'm kind of struggling here. I'm at camp. I don't know what to do. We're trying to be really safe during COVID. We were in Florida at the time. And, you know, his team has really gone above and beyond with helping me just like write a every single day program of what to do, what day, what exercises, what's good for what's not. And we've never met in person. So it's kind of been phenomenal. And then here in Boston, I use uh, this other clinic, uh, Wellness in Motion, and I've been doing shockwave therapy as well. So that's the I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's it's not so fun. Um, basically, imagine like a baby. 2000 baby miniature hammers um, hitting your scar tissue. So that's just kind of bringing the blood flow in. So oh. definitely some, <laughs> yeah, it's, I've, I've never done it before either. I kind of didn't believe in it, but I was like, you know what? I've heard good things for injuries that don't get a lot of blood flow, especially in the feet. So we're going to try it. Oh my goodness. Why do we even have to pay for that? Can't you just go insult somebody and then have them like hit you in, in retribution? Yeah, I guess it's like so I, I don't know the science behind it fully, but so minuscule, like these vibrations, the sound waves going through that it's really breaking up that scar tissue. So in uh, Achilles and foot injuries, it's very helpful because the hardest thing is getting that healing blood in the area. So, um, yeah, it's kind of experimental in a way, but there's a lot of people in the Northeast, especially that have been kind of applying it to to therapy. And I think it's helped some or, you know, maybe the placebo, but I'm here for it. So that's interesting because when I think of like a, like an arch strain, I wouldn't have assumed that scar tissue would be something that would, um, I don't know, be the result of that kind of injury. Was it, is it, was that the case or was it like a strain happened because of pre-existing scar tissue? Yeah. So mine was an acute thing. So I stepped in a, a little hole on a track. I, rotated my ankle inwards and kind of strained my foot. And when strains happen, this is my very layman's term of all this, I'm not a doctor, is when strains happen, then you heal. But if your um if your foot is like super inflamed, it can create scar tissue as a response. So then you have that scar tissue which eventually can irritate the area again. So you kind of have this like malicious cycle of you know, irritating it because you never got strong enough in the first place. So you have to like strengthen and address the inflammation. 
Interesting. All right. That makes that, that that makes sense. All right. So I was thinking more like scar tissue when you think of like like some sort of like major like I don't know, someone tears their ACL or something, right? And you're like, there's gonna be mm-hmm. scar mm-hmm. tissue built up and, and you know, as a, as a result of it. This is like microscopic, like tiny, tiny stuff. Also, I mean, shoot, anything that happens with your foot though, like you feel it, right? Like even now, like you think about, you mentioned like, which shoes fit and don't fit. And I, I want to dive into that too. But like, if you just look at like, you know, the, the typical like shoe nerd stuff, like measuring like heel drop and stuff like that, you're like, you're talking about like there's been like, 10 millimeters and 12 millimeters you're like oh that's a big deal for me but like when, when someone mentions like a millimeter usually they say it in terms of like it's too small to measure but like when it comes to feet it's like we notice all those things so easily like how many times have you taken like you know a pebble out of your shoe and assumed it was like five times as big as what it actually turned out to be exactly and that's kind of what's happening to me i mean the first couple of weeks of my injury i had to stop and i was literally pulling my big toes like something's wrong here um but i mean because I run for Adidas, we have a lot of shoes and like, that's definitely, you know, something that's lucky to have, but it's also which ones work. And I, I use these flexible insoles called Spenko. They're just like a high arch support. I have super high arches. So I basically am like, what can fit these insoles? <laughs> that's how I measure it. Oh God. So it's not even like what shoes work well for your feet. It's just which ones work for your insoles. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, like one, my like my favorite trainer, I had to half size up and I, you know, like we're super lucky. I got to like email my Adidas rep and was like, Hey, can you send me the supernova in a nine and a half and seven, nine? And she did. So, you know, get to do stuff like that. But I think that's kind of, I've used these insoles for a long time. It's just figuring out what, what works for you. So beyond that though, like I can kind of do most of what I want, but now it's just kind of, you know, there's days that the foot gets sore and I have to, you know, give it some love, give it a Epsom salt bath, give it some self massage. All right. So let's talk about when you're when you're actually running and maybe this isn't at this point anymore, but I'm sure there was a point where this was the case where you're having to make decisions on the fine line between uncomfortable and kind of running through it and uncomfortable and dialing it back. So what was that process like for you and where are you now uh, with that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm definitely more of a conservative athlete, I would say. Like, I kind of built up mileage very slowly over the years. I'm not someone that's like, oh, man, I feel horrible today. I have to run, do the run anyways. Like, I'm, you know, probably the person that's like, I'm going to take a day off. And my coach is probably like, you just took a day off. I'm like, but I need another one. So I definitely come in from <laughs> from that angle, which I think is a little bit abnormal for, you know, a lot of people. Um, but I think it was kind of the hardest part for me was communicating with my coach, like how serious this was, how uncomfortable I felt. So that was a kind of a hard barrier. You know, it's like figuring, telling him, you know, like, I think this needs to be like diagnosed. Like that was kind of, you know, and then once we got the diagnosis, it was fine. But before then he was like, it was hard because I didn't look like didn't really impact my stride other than racing. It wasn't um, really a problem. But I was like, you know what? I can't do this super high intensity work with my foot in the state that it's in. So I need to figure out what's going on. Hey, folks, the Road to the Trials podcast is presented by Koros Wearables, makers of performance GPS watches that help athletes train to their best. Athletes like world record marathoner Elliot Kipchoge and multi-time U.S. champion Emma Coburn trust Koros watches to track their training from long runs to track workouts with their innovative track mode, which I Frankly, I'm just going to input this. I love their track mode. This is one of the reasons I love these watches. You can measure your next track workout to near perfection, whether you've got 400 meter repeats in lane one 
or a four mile tempo in lane five, you can trust Coral's watches to provide the stats that you crave. So show your support for the brands that support this podcast and pick up the Pace 2, the latest GPS watch on the market. Enter code TRIALS at checkout on Coros.com. That's C-O-R-O-S.com for free accessory with your purchase. You can just pick whichever one you like after you enter the code. So when you use the Coros product, you know you're getting a premium watch design, tested, and perfected by the athlete and for the athlete. Give Coros a follow on Instagram or on Facebook at Coros Global. Coros, explore perfection. All right, so thinking about the high-intensity work and figuring out what you can do versus what you couldn't do, could you give me like uh, like an A, B scenario where like this is a, 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 a the kind of workout that you normally would have done and instead, this, you know, and, and basically talk about like what you may have done instead of that workout because it was better for your foot and long-term healing. Yeah, we, we, we stay off the track for a while. So I think the track was pretty tough on it, just like the turning. So that was kind of, you know, we switched a lot of workouts to fartlek style. So kind of just that um, medium 80%. So we did one workout we'd switch to instead of kind of more of a harder track session was we did a third of a mile on a third of a mile off. So like qu- thirds of a mile on off for six miles. So we still got a lot of volume and work in, but there was not as much time going quick, but you still get six miles at a relatively aerobic pace. So we were just trying to keep the volume in, at a pace that like wouldn't um, irritate my foot that much. So for me, that was running, you know, not taking as many turns and running, um, kind of straighter lines and um, staying off the track for a little bit. So, you know, just going to look creative and staying away from some hills for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. And how has that worked with you training with other people? Have you still been able to do that or are you more on your own now because of how you're how you're altering the, the workouts? Yeah, well, now I'm back. So I'm kind of, you know, throwing myself back in it. Um, I think you caught me in the heart of everything. So you know, yesterday I did a, a great session. I did four by 400 and then eight by 250 meter hill and then four by 400. So, you know, we're kind of doing it. Is it to like the A plus quality that I want it to be? No, not yet, but we'll get there. So uh, kind of back at it. That is awesome. I know in one of your training partners is Erica Kemp, correct? Yes. Yeah. All right. So she just ran really well down at Gate River for, I don't know, she was basically the reigning champ down there as well, right? Yeah, she won two years ago, but um, she's run faster every single year since then. So it's kind of crazy that she, I think she's run like almost a minute faster than the year she won. So let me ask you this question, because I always wonder when people are training in groups, if like the group effect is not only prevalent, like on workout days, you know, helping each other out, lifting each other up, but also like that sort of thing. Like she goes down to Gate River, runs really, really well. And here you are, someone who's been training with her. Does that boost your confidence as well? Be like, hey, I've been doing workouts with her. She's showing out over here in this major in this major event. That's a good sign for me. Or does that not really translate? For sure. I think this one's a little different because we haven't been doing a ton together leading into that race for her. Um, but in the fall, I can absolutely attest to that. You know, like our little mini groups is me, uh, Erica Kemp and Elena Tab, And we just had a killer fall, you know, we were all just like clicking on all cylinders. And we went out to California, I ran a 5k on Friday night, and they were racing the 10k on Saturday. And you know, they were like, we got so excited that you ran well in your 5k, because we knew we were ready to go, you know, so I think that definitely 
for sure what you're saying is you see your teammates executing and you know you can do it yourself. Right. Because, you know, oftentimes with races, it seems like, you know, they're not always the perfect test of exactly how fit you are, right? How many times have you heard an athlete be like, hey, I know I'm fitter than I ran today, things like that. But if you can compare workout to workout to workout with somebody, it's probably much more apples to apples. For sure. Yeah. And I think for like, as far as race execution goes, for me, it's always been how relaxed are you going into it? You know, how confident you are. So it's how you can just trust with what you've done is what you needed to do. You know, like, do you believe in the training that you've accomplished? And I think sometimes that mentality of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't perform to how fit I was, was just kind of, you know, a lack of trust of um, that belief that you can do it. So which one comes first or does it depend on the situation? And by that, I mean, do you need the self-belief and confidence in order to race well? Or do you need, you know, a kind of like some, some examples, some recent examples of racing well to then get the confidence? I don't think you need those examples. They definitely can help. But I think the number one thing to do is you have to be fully committed to whatever training regimen you're doing. And that full commitment means believing that you're doing the right thing. You know, like if you're doubting your training partners and your coach and all that, like that self doubt comes into races, you know, you have to practice that mental toughness in the workouts. So in order to test that mental toughness, you have to believe that those are the right workouts that you're doing. So I think a lot of times, and I see this a lot in college teams is, you know, some, someone doesn't believe it's the right workout they should be doing. And then there's this, you know, whether it's, that's what you're directly blaming it on, but that's what it comes to. So whatever I always have to be like, you know what, this is the right training that I'm doing. I'm fully committed to this block and I'm going to execute it. Am I the expert of writing training plans? No, but like, that's why you join a team and you have a coach and you just have to, you have to buy in. Like, I fully believe like, that's why some of these high level us teams do super well is because there's a complete and full trust in the coaching. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because so many times it's a matter of like, do you trust and that leads to the success or is the success lead to the trust, right? Just like if someone like hires a coach who hasn't, you know, or maybe they get, that's not a great example. Like someone just gets like assigned a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, well, like, how do I know that this is the right fit for me? Whereas it versus like, you're probably just better off just assuming it is if you don't have a choice in the matter. And then hopefully that belief leads to a positive benefit. Cause I would think that going into it with, with that kind of negative mindset, even if it's, you know, in a certain cases, even rational to, to go into with a negative mindset could just submarine the endeavor right from the start. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen it a bunch of times. There's teammates that I've had that just, you know, they bring former coaches into the equation and what they used to do before. And, you know, all of that really takes away from being present. So that's what it comes down to is, am I doing whatever I can do to be my best today? And if you're comparing it to a workout you did three years ago under a different coach, you're not really being present. Whether that was a better workout or not, kind of besides the point. It's just whether you're actively present in what you're currently doing. So you had a great end of 2020. We detailed it in the first episode. You're now talking about like the, the importance of being present. And I can totally get that. How is that like for you from a injury standpoint? You know, we just talked about like in terms of like trusting people and being confident in the in the plan from an injury standpoint. So many people 
you know, will have those those cases where they're thinking back to how they did a workout before or how they think they should be at this point in the process versus where they actually are. How have you managed that in terms of staying present with where you are and not either looking backwards or forwards? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I want to be very clear here that it was extremely hard. You know, it was not a fun time when I was entered February in the Northeast was absolutely brutal. And I was really sad for a lot of it, you know, and I think seasonal depression is definitely real as far as the weather goes. Um, so I think it just kind of feels it's been getting warmer here. There's a lot of optimism, my foot's improving, all that. And I think for me, one of the biggest things I did was, you know, I've like punished myself before when I've been injured in a way of like, oh, I don't deserve to hang out and have fun with my friends and do certain things. I mean, this is all COVID safe, of course, but you know, it's like, I've done that whole, like, I don't deserve those things because I'm hurt. I need to be serious. And that just doesn't work for me. You know, I've got to be a whole person. I've got to, you know, reach out to friends and family. I can't isolate myself. So I think those are the the things that um, keep me present is kind of, you know, telling people that I'm having a hard time and, um, you know, using their advice and all that. So I think, staying connected to people is what keeps me present. Now, are you closely connected with a lot of people who are outside of the running community or do you find most of your friends are are related to the running community? I would say it's split for sure. Um, I definitely need my friends who are outside the running community. Uh, They play a enormous role in my life, especially my family. You know, it's like they'll love me if I'm, if I finish last and it's fine. So I think it's, great to have both. Um, I definitely can get overwhelmed if I just hang out with runners. Cause sometimes I'm like, this is my job. I can't, I can't just talk about this all the time. You know, I have to have, I have other interests and thoughts and, you know, want to have conversations about worldly topics. So, um, it's a little split of both. Right. And especially if things aren't going well, no, no matter the reason I can imagine someone would want to be like detached from those conversations. If they're like, I just need to not think about this right now. <laughs> this is, this is going to send me down a dark path. Yeah. And the one thing, a piece of advice, I just, maybe this is, you know, everywhere online or someone gave it to me at some point was like, if you expect to be a different person after a result, that's like kind of a, it's kind of a problem. You know, you need to be comfortable with who you are without achieving that. And like, we can have goals and aspirations and want to be better and achieve certain things. But if you think it's going to fix parts of your life that are broken or not whole, like that is, it's hard. And that's not going to happen. So I think like I've definitely been in that position of if I just run, especially when I was working full time, I was like, if I just run this and earn a contract, like everything will be better. And it doesn't work like that. So you need to be, again, come back to being present of, you know, who are you if you couldn't run? And that, that is like a hard thing to think about. But something that I think about when I'm injured is, you know, I can like take this time obviously execute on the PT and do everything in your power to give your injury. But outside of that, you know, use that extra time for something else. That's a great point because it's so easy to, to, if things aren't going well, to pin it on the situation, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, it's just because, again, I've just got a full-time job and so on and so forth. If I didn't have all these things, I'd be fine. Instead of if there's the actual root cause of, of certain, you know, things going on in your life that aren't, that aren't great, it's you know, so much easier not to root those root causes out and to blame them on external factors. Even if those external factors can have a, a certain negative drag, it might not be the uh, silver bullet solution uh, in, in some of those cases. Yeah, yeah, there, there are no shortcuts, no silver bullets. They don't exist. 
All right. So in our last conversation, you did talk about how you were planning on doing some sort of training camp. You weren't sure even when or where that was going to happen. <laughs> um, it was still kind of early in the process. Um, what, ha- what happened on that front? We are leaving in two weeks to go to a five-week camp in Park City leading into a race on May 13th. So I have some answers for you. All right. Okay. So why Park City and why five weeks? Like what, what, in terms of like the logistics, how does that get figured out? Yeah, so uh, I went there this summer um, with some friends and had a great time. Um, we went to Flagstaff last January, but Flagstaff is a really popular place. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to train around all your competition. So I think my coach was definitely looking for something that was a little um, not as heavily trafficked with other professional runners. And um, I had such a great time in Park City that he was like, hey, what about this? And um, and end up working out that way. So we're going back there. There's some great track access, um, in Provo and Salt Lake city to go down from altitude. Um, as far as like the five weeks goes, you have to be, the studies say like, uh, you have to be at altitude for, um, a minimum of 21 days to start seeing a blood benefit, um, to get, increase your red blood cell count, which, drives more oxygen um more red blood cells is more oxygen so you try to target it around a race so we'll be up there with um several days past that 21 days mark and then be able to time it directly for this they call it like the key 48 hour window or so i don't know the science behind everything um for a race so you get kind of a huge boost all right and what race are you gonna be running i'm gonna be doing a 5k so i'm going for that olympic a standard in the 5k all right, which one? I don't know, honestly. I think it's another sound running meet um, on May 13th, I think. I'm not sure. Got it. All right. So let me ask about the decision to do the 5K. We also talked about this at length in the first conversation about 5K, 1,500. You know, Are you going to decide? Do you have to decide? What was that process like? Yeah, so I think I'm definitely going to train like a 5K runner, you know, just try to get super, super strong and then hopefully have some opportunities to run some 1500s. But we talked about, you know, keeping that volume high for my style of running is definitely going to, um, I think play out pretty well. So, um, the 1500 is, I mean, all the races in the U S right now are so deep, but the 1500, we just realistically, we're looking at the field and there's a lot of girls. You kind of have to, there's a lot of two flat 800 girls in the, the 1500. And I, we were thinking about the end foot speed and kind of with this injury setback, what, um, could I, you know, get that faster training and all those factors kind of led to, all right, let's target this 5k and then we'll do some 15s and make the final decision later. Yeah, that's a great, I was thinking about this, about when you have these sorts of races, um, you know, at the, either at the Olympics and also at the Olympic trials where there aren't rabbits. And you have these races where oftentimes they can kind of devolve into the race that's just shorter than them, right? Like how many times we've seen this, like the the 1500 meters in the Olympics or Olympic trials turns into like basically like an 800 or 600 meter race because there isn't a rabbit going out and holding that steady pace. And it just seems like that's, that it's a perfectly understandable thing, but it does become this, this awkward thing where there's such discrepancies in the kinds of racing that can happen when or if there isn't a rabbit attached to the race. 
Yeah. I mean, that's why they call it championship style racing. It's different. You know, no one's going to waste their energy. No one's going to do the work for anyone else. Everyone is not that different. So I think that you have to, that's why people race, you know, you practice racing to practice championships, to make teams, to win medals. Um, so championship racing style is very different. Um, and I fully expect, I'm going to make a prediction now the women's 1500 meter final of the Olympic trials will probably have someone closing like a 57 last lap. Like it's going to be hot. You know, it's like, there's maybe one or two people that are a little bit better than everyone else, but you don't know what people's training has been like. So I think it's going to come down to whoever's the strongest last 400, last 600. So I'm not counting myself out of being able to do that, but I think that um, maybe it'll be better for me in the 5k. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that insight, Dana. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to get back with you a month from now when you're up in Park City to hear how the training is going leading into your first big race of 2021. Thank you, man. Oh, should I say that? I mean, did, or did you? I'm trying to think. The race? No, this is the next big one. We're not, we're not okay. counting that one. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, hold on. There was a race. It was a race right before she got injured. There wasn't yeah, really a race. That doesn't count. <laughs> nope. doesn't count. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Also, a big shout out to Koros as well. Head over to Koros.com today to check out some of the best watches in the game. In my opinion, the best watches out there. Uh, not only do they have the unbelievable, unbelievable battery life that I mentioned in the intro, but also they have the track function. That's right. You can wear your Koros GPS watch on the track and it will measure it perfectly. Name me another watch that does that. I don't know of any. So go over to Coros.com today and check it out. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Deep.